I was lucky enough to have a great conversation with Alex and I'm so grateful that she took us through her sobriety journey, the massive health struggles that she's had in the past where she had to go into a medically induced coma for six weeks and how she overcame that. Um, We talk about cold plunging and all kinds of things. So I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation um, that I was lucky enough to have today. So enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Returning to Me podcast. I want to welcome you, Alex Vigyu, for joining us today. Um, Thank you for being here. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having yeah. me. I'm excited to chat with you. So um, you are a marketer, a copywriter, an SEO inbound strategist. You are the co-host of the Let's Not Sugarcoat It podcast. And you're the mom of two kids, a public speaker, a writer, and an entrepreneur. Yeah, I guess so. That's a lot of things. Actually. It is a lot of things. And it's funny when yeah. somebody reads it back to us, yeah. right? You're like, oh, wow. No wonder I feel busy all the time. Right. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about your podcast. Let's start there. It's called Let's yeah. Not Sugarcoat It. And it's it's really an honest conversation by two moms. Isabella is the other mom. Um, and I love how you, you guys just, there's no limits there on what you'll talk about. It's really just a place to be honest and have conversations about the motherhood journey and all the craziness that sometimes comes with that. So I uh, I wanted to ask you, and I was also lucky enough to be a guest on there, and I've listened to many of the episodes. What has been the biggest surprise for you about doing your podcast? Something you didn't expect? Um, I think just the, well, we wanted community for sure. And I think the biggest surprise to me is just people's openness and willingness to be vulnerable and really dig deep in a really public forum like there's been people on who've said oh I haven't wanted to share this and I didn't think I'd share it publicly Mm. but they they talk about it and just um the influence that that has on people to really connect and feel heard themselves I think that's Mm -hmm. been a really big surprise at just how much people wanted and feel like they needed that and yes and so that's been really nice it's been powerful I think for us for that and the thing that's interesting is it's not the same as putting something out on social media. It's it's when you're talking in a podcast, I've had that feeling too, where you can, it's almost safer. You can get vulnerable because there's only certain people listening, right? And those people are obviously open to these type of conversations and want more of them. So I, I like that it it does feel different than just posting something to the masses. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. A little less uh, risk of <laughs> negativity, I guess. I also loved uh, you posted something one time about if anybody ever says to you, is this too much information? You're like, it's never too much information. Like, tell me I'm into it. So you're, I love how open you are (laughs) with that. (laughs) So what are some of the favorite podcasts that you like listen, listening to? That I like, I kind of like all the ones like, okay, I'm big on, you know, I don't know self self-help or whatever mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I like Glennon Doyle I love that oh, book same. I really love them I think she's so funny yeah. um and the three of them Abby, together the right three of them together are just so funny yes. I love the dynamics so I like them I like yeah. Lewis Howe's podcast mm-hmm. uh the school of now I'm drawing a blank greatness greatness, greatness. yeah 
He's so awesome. good. Yes. Um, yeah. And actually, I yesterday I listened for the first time. I feel like so many people in Kelowna are starting podcasts. It's pretty cool. Mm, and I listened cool. to that. Um, I had gone to a Women Wine and Wellbeing event, and there was a few girls uh, there, sisters, and they uh, had a podcast. And I just listened to that yesterday, and it was really good. Oh, so, nice. So Do you remember what it was called? Proof, it, proof It's Possible. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm just yeah, like, it's it's unlimited, yeah. the number of topics and specialties. So yeah, there's so much room in the market for more of, uh, for people to be doing that, which is great. Um, I wanted to ask you about, I saw a picture of you in a cold plunge the other day. Did you do that in the lake? Yeah, I did in the lake. <gasps> oh, and wait, I was going to say one more thing about podcasts. I have been a binge junkie on murder podcasts, but I moved away oh. from it a bit, but like all the murder podcasts, I used to really love those. I can't believe how many people do. I was telling my girlfriend, what does that do to your stress and your cortisol, right? Because it's, I'm sure you hear some crazy stuff on there, but yeah. people love the the people whole crime murder stuff. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's, it's a there. But uh, okay, cold plunging. I do. So do you that went in Lake Okanagan in yeah. January or December? In December. I have December. Last week they canceled it. Every Sunday oh. you can go to cold dip with the cold dip community in Kelowna. And it's always at Tugboat Beach at 10 a.m. So feel free to go. But I they canceled actually plunging last week because it was so cold. It was in the yeah. minuses. But, it was like minus 24. Not, yeah. So not just, yeah. I love it. I love cold plunging. Um, it's, so they say that the high of a cold plunge can last like six hours. So you feel that. good for- a good amount of time after. So I really so like did, it. Did you love it from the very first second or did it take a while to get to the point where you love it? Oh yeah. Like, and when I'm getting in there, don't get me wrong. It's not like, I'm like, Oh, this is joyous as I'm doing. <laughs> it. It's not comfortable. I, I don't know. I think the first time I really tried it was at um, Kelly in locally in town has this place called Sona wellness. Mm -hmm. And she has a cold plunging, um, Play, a place in there like a almost like a tub type thing in a sauna and the first time I did it I I didn't even last a minute and I found it hard mm -hmm. but I don't know I just I really like it uh mm -hmm. I didn't love it like oh this is amazing from the start but it did build my over time I feel like I built my resiliency to it so I do mm -hmm. really enjoy it even though the initial moment I think mm -hmm. oh this is so hard why am I, I doing do this? this or sometimes they get in there and there's usually this really keen guy at the cold plunge who goes in first he uh, without a doubt he's always one of the first people and so I usually like to go in around the time that he does he always plunges down and that sometimes I'm just like I can't do this he's and then he's a good motivator because he usually tells everyone around him just do the first like get to your shoulders and as soon as he says that I just do it he usually tells me my three minutes is up if I want. One time I lasted six minutes and wow. then I just put it out of there. Yeah. So do you go numb after like the first minute and does it get easier or no, it's. it's... Yeah, it gets easier. You do kind of get numb. I actually right. said um, one of the first times that I lasted longer, I said cold plunging might be my new wine because you just kind of yeah. numb out. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like this. So, yes. and, you know, you move forward. It was, it, it's good. You kind That's of. amazing. It always feels like, oh my gosh, this is so cold. And then when you're in there, it feels less cold and it, it 
the feeling that I get is, well, why did I think this was hard? Because you do kind of just freeze and then mm-hmm. you go fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the health benefits are quite amazing. I was speaking to a friend the other day, his wife suffered a very um, intense concussion four years ago, and she hasn't like she's tried everything and it's still affecting her life so much. So he said they're now doing cold plunges to help with um, concussion healing. Wow. Um, But one thing he told me, which I didn't I hadn't heard before, is he said you you actually need to go to your chin in order to have your vagus nerve um, spot under the water. And then it, it does all these things in your body that can heal all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the benefits are undeniable. Um, so I, I, I'm going to check out the cold dip community and yeah. I, I would like to try it yeah. at some point. Yeah. Not yeah, sure when that's going to be yet. Instagram page. It's cold dip Kelowna. You just kind of go on there and they'll always post and they bring in a different person every week to yeah. run it. So somebody will lead the session. They usually start by meditating or by doing yoga. And I like it. You go around and you say, sometimes you go around and you say what you're grateful for that day. Mm. It's just a really great community. They're all so Mm -hmm. cool. And the guy who started it, um, him and his partner started it. And he's now just one day we got there and the other guy running it was like, Oh yeah, so and so is now in Bali, so I'm taking over till he's back. Like they're just very <laughs> free, awesome, cool people. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice community. And yeah. how do you warm up afterwards? Because I know sometimes you can stay chilled all day. So how do you warm up? Well, lately they've been bringing these bio tents where you can go in, and it's almost mm. like a portable sauna. Or else I just go home and have a hot shower, um, and then I usually feel okay. But it is true that in the beginning. I would go home and I'd feel cold all day. I'd be wearing like my fleece onesie that I have and mm-hmm. just be freezing. Yeah. But I do find, and I don't know, I should ask someone in the cold depth community, but I find that now I can recover from that faster. Like I'm less, cold. I guess your body's getting Maybe used, my to body's and... used to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, you've also been very open about, you've been challenging yourself to sobriety lately and you did like a 90 day, um, challenge. And I think you've continued since then. So it's fun to watch. And I'm also very curious and, and, um, I'm not drinking right now either. So it's, I've definitely the type of person that sometimes I do, sometimes I take breaks. So you've got so many people cheering you on. Tell us more about how that that's been for you. And have you ever gone that long before, or is this something new for you? Um, well, once in COVID, I did up, give up drinking for 80 days but I think it was different than this time. It was more uh, proving, maybe it was more like white knuckling it, proving to, mm-hmm. to myself that I didn't have a drinking problem so I could not drink. And then as yep. soon as I drank after those 80 days, I just went back to my old my habits. Days, old habits. Um, and this time, so basically what happened is like I have struggled with my relationship with alcohol for years. And um, what happened was I was on a vacation with friends and it just, I was just blackout drunk the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I got back and uh, people were frustrated at me because of the way I'd been on the trip. And on the way down from the trip, ironically on the way to the trip, I was going to a work thing first and I was reading Holly Whitaker's Quit Like a Woman. Like that is my relationship with normal in alcohol, like has I've, it's 
been in my brain forever. Mm -hmm. You know, even in my twenties, I wondered, Oh, do people always drink like this? But you know, you just carry on. And, um, so then I got home and I, I was staying at the time with my ex-husband because I was moving houses and I was staying in my original house. And after I got home that day, I basically, the next day when we woke up, I had coffee and I said to him, I think you're right. I think I have a drinking problem because he'd said this to me before. And I said, I don't know what to do about it. Mm. And, but it was kind of a powerful moment because he said, you know, Alex, um, if there's one thing about you that I know, it's that you can do hard things and you'll figure it out. And so then I said, okay. And then I, I committed at that point to 90 days and I used the 90 days and where I think it's different is it was the first time in my life that I said to myself, you have a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And I asked all those questions that everyone in the sober community is always saying to ask, why do you drink? When do you want to drink? How come you want to drink? What is drinking mask for me? And mm -hmm. so I was able to look at the whys behind drinking um, and really recognize how, how, how it's shown up in my life. And, and so it, it felt, I felt a lot of freedom in it and I find a lot of freedom in not drinking. And I mm -hmm. thought, okay, well, I can't get to 90 days and, and obviously like I have a counselor and all these things too. Right. So mm -hmm. I can't get to 90 days and then just suddenly go back to drinking mm -hmm. the way it was. So I was like, life has been so good by not drinking. Mm -hmm. How good can it be if I continue not to drink? And so I am, you know, and who knows, maybe I'll give up drinking forever. Probably that's the goal. But right now I'm like, you know what? I'm giving myself a year, a year to really look at alcohol and say, why is it so important? And as soon as, see, I could go about this talk forever. As soon yeah. as I look <laughs> at alcohol, the more I realize it just shows up all the time and how much mm -hmm. it showed up in my life. But it's almost one it's of those everywhere. Feelings. It's everywhere. And once you see it, it's like, I can't unsee it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it's everywhere. It's in every, we use alcohol to celebrate happy times, to, to, commiserate together about miserable mm -hmm. times it's it's always there and it's really stress to, yeah. yeah stress and then like I start realizing it is the only I listened to podcasts the other day and they were talking about it's the only drug that we would question why it's not at a kid's birthday party right but you're not like putting a table of of joints out and saying hey parents here have a joint well <laughs> you have your kid yeah. birthday party it's just such a fascinating drug because yes. we glorified it as a, as a society. Yeah. I've glorified it. I mean, it's been in my life forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a big part of, uh, in my life and in my family's life and how I grew up and watching mm -hmm. my parents, it was, it was brought in as a way to, so to be social all the time with people. Um, so I'm also trying to separate that and teach myself how to be social with people without having that. Um, and there's so much more, there's so many more options now. And now in Kelowna, we have Sobar, which yeah. is, yeah, a sober bar with lots of different mocktails and options for people that want to still get out and celebrate and meet with friends and, and that, but don't necessarily want to go to a place that's serving alcohol. So, um, and, and just, so we're educated more now. And I notice my, my kids, my son, who's, you know, 24 will say to me, mom, you don't, you don't realize how bad wine and alcohol is for you. Um, right. So Little, younger people are seeing so much. It's yes. So yes. And then when you read the, the science and even in that book, um, how to quit like a woman, is that what it's called again? 
Uh, yeah, like it, it is actually poison. So why are we putting poison into ourselves as a way yeah. to like relax and blow off steam? It's not healthy. Um, okay. And thank you for that. It's really fun to watch you and to cheer you on. Um, and you're being so open and honest about that. And it's just, it's really cool. I can definitely relate to so many things that you just said. Mm. So you're not, you're not alone in that. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I think one thing that you were saying about um, when you recognize it and how it is in our parents, et cetera. So I had mm -hmm. this friend and I keep thinking about her in elementary school. I had a friend and her, she was from what you would call like the wrong side of the tracks, right? If you're like, oh, she was from the wrong side of the tracks in the city that I lived. Her dad, everybody thought he was like the alcoholic. Like he drank all the time. He drank hard liquor. Her um, mom had died of a drug overdose. And it was like, everyone was like, oh, but then I think about the way I grew up and my parents you know, they were golf course members. They drank when they socialized with their friends. They came home drunk quite often, but that's not seen in society as a drinking mm -hmm. problem, right? Because it's- Right, it's like it's high functioning. Different. It's high functioning on the right side of the track. So like it's a society yes. so interesting. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, and you were just making me think of- um, something it completely left my brain but it'll come back to me in a second I'm sure um, so also I was curious about what is the biggest sort of health challenge that you've ever had and I'm curious how you overcame that like health challenge in my life yeah I'm leading you to the story you've told me <laughs> you're leading me to my life okay so in in 2009 I actually uh, got swine flu when swine flu was at the time they were calling it a pandemic, but right. Like that's H1N1, right? Yeah. So I got H1N1 in, um, back in the day in 2009, October 23rd, 2009 was when I went to the hospital, but essentially I had a week before that, I, I had what I thought was pneumonia. So I went to the doctor, I was like, I'm coughing and they did an x-ray. I went to a walk-in clinic, but I did, they did an x-ray and they said essentially that I had pneumonia, but they said that, you know, I needed to be monitored because if it got worse, I needed to go to emerge. And so basically I was home. I was sick. I wasn't getting better. Sometimes I felt like I was better. Sometimes I was worse. And on this particular morning, my um, boyfriend at the time who eventually became my husband, he woke up and he was going to work early and I looked gray. So he called the ambulance. And so they came and I, that's the part of the only part I remember is that these ambulance attendants came and they said, you know, they put masks on me and I said, I don't need to go to the hospital. And they said, you absolutely do. Oh. And then they took me to the hospital and essentially I, um, they put me in a medically induced coma eventually. And I, and so I was quite ill. So it's, a, I mean, it's quite a lengthy story, but basically I was on uh, life support and I was in the hospital for a long time, but for six weeks I was in a medically induced coma and it was on this, um, this machine basically to save my life. It was called ECMO and they use it in the hospital quite a bit. If you're, if you're waiting for a heart transplant, a bunch of things, but they, they had been starting using this machine where they got it from Australia, mm. uh, this idea from Australia to use it with people with severe cases of H1N1. So they put me on this machine. And at the time I ended up being the person who stayed on that machine 
the longest in the ICU. Now oh. they change out the the thing all the time. And um, people, when I last spoke to someone at that hospital, somebody had been on ECMO for over three months, but I was in it for 26 days. I was in life support. Um, that's life support. And, and eventually they took, I was on a bunch of other things, but eventually they took out my lung and like in a last ditch effort um, to save my life. They were like, you know, this isn't working. So they, they actually did this crazy surgery um, and they went to move me and I almost uh, like had a cardiac arrest. And so they ended up doing a surgery in the ICU room, which they'd never really done at that hospital. And so they, they opened up my chest. Um, it's called thoracotomy or thoracostomy. And then they opened up my chest and they were like, her lung is dead. And so they basically said it's necrotic it's called. So then they, they said, if she's alive in a week, then we'll do the surgery. Oh. So then I lived a week and then they took on my lung and then they, I was, I lived, which I wasn't supposed to because it was a 20% chance of living. Oh. And, um, then they just slowly weaned me off of this medically induced coma. And so I woke up and six weeks had passed and here I am in the hospital, but I'm trached, like at a trach because I couldn't breathe by myself. And I was lying in this bed and I couldn't, because when you're in a, a same position for a long time, your muscles, mm. they atrophy. So you can't right. move. So you couldn't move any muscles. And so then I had to spend more time in the ICU, learning how to breathe on my own through these things they call breathing trials, where they slowly like take your ventilator down and you, you do almost like sprints breathing at certain levels with your own breath. Mm -hmm. And then I had to, you know, do physio to walk and all this stuff. Wow. And it was crappy too, because where they took my lung out, you have this bronchial stump. And so they, you know, shove all the stuff tied up. They're like, yeah, it's great but I had this infection still from the H1N1 and the pneumonia and it like corroded and made a little hole that they call a fistula. So I had a hole that would, if they turned me over, like fluid would go into my uh. lung that I had left over. So basically long story short, I finally got to leave the hospital, but the only way I left the hospital was I got this machine. It was called a VAC and it would like, I had to get it packed by home care for 18 months and it would like suck out the infection and it was supposed to shrink my chest cavity and then eventually they took I was like I'm done with this and and they were like yeah and uh he my surgeon wanted to keep it in longer because it was working but it was just like this is too much like I had to leave my job to go get it um packed at the hospital it was blah and mm. so 18 months later uh they took a muscle from my leg that we don't use and they packed it into my lung cavity and then so now it's just like has vascular um stuff in there so that if i did get an infection it wouldn't be this open chest cavity so that's wow. yeah and then they sewed me up and it was a really long shitty experience like it was a lot of months i was in the icu there was one guy at the time he'd been in the icu longer than me ever and that ICU. And I, I was the second longest patient because people don't live in the ICU often, right? Like eventually mm -hmm. they die. A lot of people die in the ICU. And um, I mean, they live, but it's more rare. And one guy had been right. there longer than me, but he he left and had gotten go home. And I, I was in the ICU from when I went in in October till February 16th. So that's a lot of months in the ICU. Yeah. You know? 
Um, it's like almost four months in the ICU. So it's a long time. And then I was in the, the ward until uh, uh, April, sometime in April, right before um, whatever holidays in April, Easter. Easter and then yes. that was it. So then there was like 18 months. So that was the biggest health challenge I've ever done. And it was hard. It was, yeah, it was hard. Oh, uh, the trauma alone <laughs> from that, Alex, yeah. is in, uh, like, I can't even imagine. And I, I, you're the only person I know who has one lung. I mean, I'm sure mm. I've come across other people and just didn't know it, but that's, is that pretty rare? It is. I mean, I don't know what the stat is on it. I know that if they can, they'll take out part of your lung. They'll, they'll keep mm. as much of your lung as they can. Mm. But I guess that the they'd rather take out your lung and have you live with one lung than do a full lung transplant because I guess the stats of living um are higher for mm -hmm. like you can live longer with one lung because you can live your lung will expand and take up more space mm -hmm. but yeah wow yeah and it was it's so interesting always like how you said the trauma of it you know I and I always I was kind of in denial in a sense because I always thought my family, obviously they went through so much when I was in a coma, everyone mm. was there. Like they really thought I was going to die several times. And so I always thought, you know, when I woke up, that felt to me, like all the trauma, you know, the, that fighting to mm -hmm. breathe all that. And it always felt to me that that time in the ICU was their trauma to deal with. Right. So yeah. clearly I was in some kind of denial and then COVID happened and I go to get my eyebrows make microbladed at some point. And I go there and I have this three layer mask on and I'm lying there. And she puts this light right on my face and I just start crying. Oh. And I'd seen the somatic therapist who kept telling me, you haven't dealt with your like body held trauma of your body going through like all this stuff in a coma. And I kept telling her, oh, you're crazy, you know? And then I just <laughs> couldn't stop crying. And I realized, oh, I have a lot of work to do with just held your body mm. holds all of that on cellular level, right? Yeah. I was going to say that's proof for the whole, the body remembers whether yeah. we remember or not it's in there. So fascinating. Yeah. yeah so you've been on a, a journey to heal that as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And I, I, yeah, you just realize so, how much it affects your whole body. Yeah. Know? Well, and yeah. how differently things could have turned out. Yeah. And, and as a young person, like you were pretty young when that happened, I'm sure I'm, you didn't recognize it all at that time. But even now, I bet it hits you all the time about how intense that could have been if if things had come out differently. Plus, like, it was a miracle that you survived and that whole why me? Like, what what does that all mean? How oh, often yeah, do you think so of it fun. now? You know, I think of it, it's so interesting because when I was in it, I felt like it would never, I would never not think of it. And I, mm -hmm. I think of it, but it's one day, my, one of my favorite nurses said to me, Alex, one day, this will be a distant memory. And I mm -hmm. thought, yeah, right. Like that it won't, but I think of it. I do think of it, but it's not like it's like every day. And I do think of it when something really hard happens. And I think of it every year on October 23rd, mm -hmm. I, I haven't talked to anybody who's had like one of my friends, her husband got diagnosed with cancer. And every year on the same day that that diagnosis happened, she thinks of it, you know, those, mm -hmm. those anniversaries of those dates, mm -hmm. I, I think it, it makes, it 
makes me feel grateful for my life on the 23rd. I wish I could sit here and say every day, I think, oh, I'm so grateful because this horrible thing happened to me. And, but I do think of it. And I think in COVID, especially, I realized how much trauma I still had sort of held on from that. Mm-hmm. So I thought of it a lot then and mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you don't I think of it every day at this point. I don't think that would be good to think of it every day at this point. Um, so I'm glad that you're not. Yeah. Because I don't think that would help you any. Um, do you have ongoing, like, does it affect you health-wise going forward? Uh, you probably have to be extra careful not to catch things just because that's a good idea. Yeah, but- I'm supposed to be careful not to catch things. Like, And I'm pretty, um, I guess I do think about it when I have a cold because mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at knowing when a cold is turning into say a chest infection mm-hmm. and that used to really scare me but now I could think of it more logically which I suppose means more time has passed but even last week I had a cold and I was like this cold feels on the verge of a chest infection I went and so I was like if tomorrow I'm still coughing like this I'll go to the doctor because I need antibiotics right. whereas in the early days when I first got in the hospital, if I had a cold that felt like it was going to be a chest infection, I was hyperventilating or I was at the hospital. Like the fear, I have a chest infection. I don't want to die. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely, once I get a cold, I'm more cautious about it. I'm, I'm definitely supposed to be more cautious about, yeah, like flu season. I'm, you know, there's a lot of colds. Um, but you, the thing with one lung is you can do really anything. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. I can't sing anymore, which is unfortunate, mm-hmm. but you can do whatever. I can't really run a marathon, but I never liked running. So that's okay. okay. Yeah. For the singing, yeah. is it because you can't get enough breath to sing? Cause singing requires so much oxygen. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I'm probably could work on it, but it's more that yeah, I don't feel like I can get as much oxygen. And I feel like my voice sounds different than it used to sound singing, probably because I don't have enough breath support. Mm. And I was in a choir for years, this Broadway choir. And I could always be the person in my section that if people were not singing it quite in tune, I could sing louder and people, you know, there's always like tune you to you. carry someone in the section. Can't do, I couldn't do that to save my life anymore. And I remember mm. going to karaoke because I used to be a big karaoke in my 20s and I remember going to my sister-in-law's um stag ad and we went karaoke and I said to my friend Alita who was a singer as well I said I just realized I can't sing anymore <laughs> like that's it I'm done but yeah I think I could probably practice it it's more that singing I used to be good at singing it was something right. that I really was good at and yeah. I'm not as good at it but my right. aunt the surgeon keeps telling me that you know you what could you get there do is you could practice it would be great lung it would be great for your lung yes to yeah I bet yeah. strengthening and I bet if you practiced you're still going to be better than I am at singing so I understand <laughs> what you mean like when you're good at something it's hard to do it when it's not at the same level mm-hmm. but you're still probably miles ahead of the average person who sings mm-hmm. so i i love the idea of you getting back to that at some point when you're ready especially if it brought you joy yeah thanks yeah it might sound a little different but um maybe after a while it wouldn't even who knows the human body's pretty amazing in what it can accomplish right totally yeah 
I, mean, I remembered what, what I was going to say to you before. So I'm just going to go back yeah. to the, the drinking thing because I'm curious. I have a girlfriend who hasn't drank in years and it always surprised me how okay or not okay other people were with her choice to not drink. And she mm -hmm. was constantly asked, why aren't you drinking? Or why wouldn't, why wouldn't you come to the bar with us? Or why wouldn't you? And it frustrated me because I was like, we need to stop asking people why they aren't drinking. It yeah. like, it's, it's nobody's business for starters, but also I'm like, maybe there's a reason they're not drinking and they don't necessarily want to talk about it. And why are we sometimes not okay with somebody just choosing not to? So I'm curious if that's changed um, in these recent years where it's become so much more talked about and open, do people constantly ask you or is it not so shocking anymore? Um, I feel like for me, people maybe don't ask as much because I've been kind of open about it on social media. Mm. So they know I'm not drinking usually if I go out with them. But people do ask it. And I, I do think it is still prevalent. I think mm -hmm. it really is. There's this quote that says it's something like, you know, alcohol is the only drug that you have to explain not doing. And it is yes. so true. Yeah, no you know, one ever says, you, why aren't you doing meth? I mean, yes, maybe maybe other than the people that you normally do it with, but other than that, like the wider society, nobody would ever say that to you. No one would ever say it. And it's just because I think the it's such a, I don't know, it's so much to it. It's like, because we, we have in as a society said, drinking needs to happen, have fun. Drinking equals fun. Drinking's in every event. Yeah. Then we're funny about it because- you know, right before this whole sobriety journey, a friend of mine was telling me about her boss, who was a businessman who had taken some fentanyl-laced cocaine and confronted his cocaine addiction. And everybody at this party, when she was talking about this, was like, that's so great. Da -da 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 -da. Like, this guy is awesome for, you know, really facing his, his addiction and moving forward. But then when it comes to alcohol, then people are like, oh, but I you know, uh, why would you quit drinking? Isn't that boring? Like, yeah, you're going to miss out on so much going, fun. Yeah. People go, Oh, you're giving up meat. That's great. You're giving up alcohol. Like your life's about to be horrible. And why are you <laughs> not drinking? So it's so, I think yeah. it does still really exist. And, but I think it is changing. I think more and more people, like you said, are choosing not to drink Yeah, and, or question drinking. And I think it just takes time because I think in society and history, we've basically said, you know, you can drink or you can't drink. So you have a problem or you don't, but we've missed mm -hmm. like the entire scope of gray area drinking, which is people who maybe have questioned their drinking, maybe feel like they drink too much, but they're like, they do what every reasonable person with a drinking problem does, which is look outwards and go, everyone else is drinking it loud, a play date. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is doing this, right? So I must not have a problem. And then we test mm -hmm. ourselves. We're like, can I go 30 days without drinking? Yep. So I'm not an alcoholic because I haven't lost my job. I don't live under a bridge. Mm -hmm. So I'm not an like, I don't have a drinking problem. But yes. then we've done a disservice because we've, we've missed the people who maybe it isn't working for them, but they're like sitting there going, oh, you know, but I'm supposed to be able to drink and it's supposed to be, I'm not, I'm not, I got to fit back in this normal thing. Cause I don't want to be mm -hmm. someone who never drinks and I don't want to be someone who can't drink mm -hmm. such a complicated topic. It I really thought. is. And, and sometimes it's like, 
why do we actually make it so complicated? Like, whereas what you're doing, I'm sure is actually simplifying your life and your thoughts. Cause you're just like, I'm just not going to, I don't need mm -hmm. to argue with myself about, am I, am I not? What am I? Maybe I'll take a break. Oh, I just did it last. Like it, it can be much more complicated and it doesn't have to be that way. Plus there's so many more options now for mocktails and, and things that feel celebratory without having alcohol in them. So that it's good to see that more and more companies are doing that. Yeah, totally. And even yeah. like my sister's in wine, the wine industry. Mm. And she was saying the reason she realized as an industry that was really changing is because she went to Mexico and she was pregnant and the, uh, like last year. And she realized how many things at the all-inclusive had mocktail options, which mm. even like three years ago, you wouldn't have really seen that, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's more yes. of a global movement in a way. Yes. And it is yeah. funny, like one last thing about it is that, so the, when I first quit drinking, it's kind of like when you, you know, when you were wanting to buy a car and everywhere you drive, you see the car. Yes. So right, <laughs> quit drinking and everywhere you look, you see drinking. And I was watching this kind of teen romance movie on TV and these teenagers were drinking at every point in the movie. And I was mm. like, this is so interesting. Programming. Yeah. And I, but I was kind of like, was this like in movies when we were younger? And I had recently also watched She's All That. I rewatched that. It was so good. I haven't seen but, it. And I was like, this holds up from when I was younger, but all the teenagers are smoking. There's one mm. scene where she walks out, she has a vodka bottle at a party and she's drunk. Other than that, they're smoking and it feels weird. But I thought, oh, this is interesting that all these teenagers are, are drinking. Like the one girl had basically blown up her life and was sitting in a bath and drinking champagne. And I was like, wait, she's underage and she's smoking or drinking. This is weird. And then some mom said, oh, I noticed that I have teenagers. They're drinking all the time in movies. It is just a current societal thing. So I'm curious if when these Gen Zers who are not drinking mm -hmm. get up, if that's going to be in movies or if it's going to be different. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to see how it changes and evolves but I highly recommend that book um is it drink like a mother or drink like a woman no how quit like a woman quit like a woman yeah, yes I highly good. recommend that book it, it's really good and she's funny too but just she's a so very funny. no bs look at what's happening in our culture and mm -hmm. and how we've been kind of programmed to think it's just normal and we should all do it um so that's a great read for anybody that wants to explore that more for sure yeah she's um, funny yeah, she's well, got thank like you. A craft sense of humor too. Like, yes, I just think she's like no bullshit. Yeah, totally. And she she's able to call herself out so much and yeah. be like, oh, she's just funny and very revealing about yeah. her own path as well and her own struggles and um and also AA doesn't necessarily work for everybody, right? So it's yeah. it's great that there are different options and more education now on finding what works for for you and there's no one size fits all for, yeah, for totally. how people are going to quit for sure. And thank you for sharing that journey of your, your lung and your coma. That's deeply personal, but it's, it's quite, it is quite the story and quite the miracle that you're here today. So I'm glad that you fought so like your body, obviously, and your souls fought so hard to push through that and do what was necessary, which is really, really remarkable. I think I told you this before, but I was like, you should write a book. <laughs> oh, I know. I've been like, I've had a book brewing for a while and then I just could never finish it. But then with this whole sobriety journey, I've been yeah. really diving into, I'm, I mean, I did a talk about it recently and I'm like, no, I think I need to write a book about that. 
And I think it always, everything's connected, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you don't deal with trauma, another irony is I did a a talk about, you know, your body remembers body held trauma. And I think actually Holly Whitaker talks about this in her talk, her book too. But, you know, when we haven't dealt with trauma, it can manifest in so many ways. And one of the ways it manifests is with drinking. Like Mm -hmm. it's a way to self-soothe yourself to feel Oh, absolutely. For me, I think it it did. And I'm curious to know what effect that not dealing with my own shit had on that problem as well. And so, yeah, there's something to be said. I definitely think I should write a book and I need to get on it. You're right. (laughs) I trust you will finish the book at some point. It's going to happen. So what is really lighting you up these days, Alex, and pushing you out of your comfort zone? You're already doing amazing things like getting in the lake in December. So what, what, what else is pushing you at this point? I mean, I just feel like I have so much energy and I, I, and I have been working with somebody on a lifestyle, like healthy eating program. So I've been doing that. That's been making me feel energy. And I really it's funny because I've, I've spent, you know, 20 years kind of being like a party animal and being the life of the party and being the person who's always up to stay till 3am and like, just wants to keep drinking and have a good time. And I didn't realize like how much of my normal everyday life, even if I just drank on the weekends, which I didn't, but you know, say it for when I was, how much that just like drinking and binge drinking just like made me permanently hung over almost, you know, mm-hmm. and even if I could reset it in the week and then do it again, it was like so draining. And I just feel like the irony is for me, what's really lighting me up is that by really just like surrendering and accepting that, you know what, I have a, a horrible relationship with alcohol in the past, recutting it out of my life, I found joy back again and things like better connection with my kids. I've found um, joy in the things that I used to like to do. I feel happier and I feel more motivated. And I realize everything that, that I kind of always was looking for is actually right there. Maybe I just had to stop doing this one thing, you know? And wow. so that sort of makes me feel motivated. Like I feel good about life in general. And I think for me, a lot of that is just accepting that, you know, what, what I was afraid of, I was afraid to have a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I do have a drinking problem and Mm -hmm. in admitting it and being like, that doesn't have to mean that, you know, I'm that life is over. It just means like, I got to a point where it became really unhealthy. And so you have a choice. And my choice Mm -hmm. was to quit. And because of that, I've found so much more joy. And I used to think people who were sober, we're just lying to themselves when they said, you know, life is better sober. <laughs> and I thought, well, they just can't drink anymore. So that's just because they say that. But I realized that that's actually maybe not true. It, it There is somebody when I first said I need to quit drinking, my my friend was like, I he's been sober for years. And he said, you will find the further and further away you get from alcohol, the more joy you'll find in your life. And for me, that's been true. And so I just, what's lighting me up is like, oh, wait, there's a whole world out there that isn't fueled by alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. Like it really yeah. is. And I love it. And, and it's going to get better and better. Yeah. 
And they, the sober community is always like, oh, you know, six months, you got to get to six months. And then that's when you really see the benefits. So life feels good. I'm only like three months in. So mm-hmm. I want to see what it does. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And it's interesting when you're talking because it's like, you've taken the steps to stop pushing things away and you're actually dealing with them now, whether it's mm-hmm. some traumas, some health issues, whatever it is. And also just how it affects our sleep is no small thing, right? Do you yeah. sleep better now? Way better. Yeah. 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 And if we sleep better, obviously we have more energy and things in the day. So it, it definitely is all connected for sure. Um, okay. What are you currently reading or have recently read that you love? Currently reading a read. Okay. So like one of my big like vices is I love a romance novel. So I'm mm-hmm. always reading a romance novel. But I'm trying to think if I've read anything intellectual lately. I mean, <laughs> I read Pam Raider's book. I read. I did too. That was intense. Ooh. Yeah, it was so good. And um, I do like, I've been trying to read, um, what's that book about habits? I have that on mm, my Kindle. Atomic Habits? Atomic Habits. I like that one. But like, mostly I just like love a romance novel. And mm-hmm. I did meet, I read that um that Jamie girl's book too recently about um, addiction, but I forget what it was called. I read that Holly Whitaker book, like I said, not long mm. ago. I feel like I've been kind of, maybe I'm in the whitlet right now, but I've been reading a lot of that. But then really all like the number one thing on my Kindle is always a romance novel. Like yeah. I can, I have a reading. So I've never been one of those people. Like I see all these people saying, oh, my goal this year is to read 20 books this year. Or my goal is to read. <laughs> I mean, if I'm on vacation, I'm going to be reading a book a day. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I love reading. Yes. And I actually always say, I told my friend, um, I haven't been friends with her for years. It's interesting. She kind of came back into my life recently. And um, she taught me how to read, basically, because we'd go to her cottage. And all she ever wanted to do was sit on the beach and read. And so when I hung out with her, I'd have to, I'd be forced to read. So I'd read her Sweet Valley High books and stuff like that. Yeah. And just started a lifelong I'm a reader and my child is not a reader mm-hmm. and it like it's frustrating my sister has to kick her kid out of her room to like go do something other than read and I'm like <laughs> oh I just aspire for that but my child is not like that but I yeah. can all I read I just love reading I love reading I, too. I do love reading plot but it can't be like a harlequin it has to be like a good romance novel that's that's not like got a nice story to it and yeah yeah. It's got to have like, you know, I like the tropes. Yeah. 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 I could relate to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And a great way to unwind and just relax too, right? Like, yeah. Um, how do you wake up to the moments of everyday magic around you? And it sounds like you're going through a process of that changing for you too. So what does that mean for you now? Well, I think it, for me, it means a bit of you know, taking a minute to organize myself in the morning. Um, You know, I used to get up and I'd be like, just, I needed to get my coffee, which I still do. But then it was like, I slept till the last possible second and then Mm -hmm. felt really rushed. So I do try to get up. If I have to get up early to finish work that I haven't finished, then I'll do it. But I like to just take the day a little bit slower, I guess. And really, mm-hmm. I guess in terms of like acceptance too, sometimes I take on too much of work. And then I used to really just like 
at 5 a.m. think I had to work until I dropped the kids off, but it's just not effective because then I can't give them the attention. So I've been really channeling, trying to time block. And if I don't get to something, I'm like, well, the next time I set a time for this and sort of questioning my own need to perfectionism towards that. So I just like to start the day, have a coffee, get up before the kids when I have the kids and then just like get into the day but set the goals of what I need to have done rather than just feel like I'm trying to keep up. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like with more intention and yeah. giving yourself that time before that. Yeah. The kids are up and the kind of craziness can take over. I'm reading the miracle morning right now um, by Hal Elrod and it's really, really good. I've, I've been a, I've become a morning person over the last few years. So I absolutely love my morning routine, but it could definitely use some tweaking. So that's a book I'm enjoying right now. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, if you were to talk to Alex 10 years or 20 years down the road or even 30 years, what would she like you to know now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that she would like me to know that it's all going to be okay. And that there's so much more than just having to put constant pressure on yourself to be perfect or to get things done the right way the first time. Mm -hmm. And that in the end, you know, it's all going to work out if you just stay close to your, um, you know, most authentic self and your, and your values and really just stay in alignment with that. Then it all mm -hmm. works out, you know, so stop. Great advice. Yourself, Alex. Of yes. 23 or four. Yeah. Okay. I want you to write that down and, and read that every day. Yeah. Every day Cause that's very, that's very powerful. And I really, I love that you can tap into that so well. And, um, it is a good exercise to think of that because sometimes it's exactly what we need to hear. And we kind of trust by thinking that's coming from a, a more experienced wise version of ourself in the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Like Thank you. If you were going to put on uh, a song to dance to in your kitchen, um, what would be something that would get you fired up and you'd have fun dancing to? Well, I do enjoy throwing on any T-Swift for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my go-to like songs are never poppy except T-Swift. Mm -hmm. And then I always go to my go-to hit on a song to get in the zone. It's always like a Vance Joy song. I just mm. love it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love Vance Joy. I'll always yeah. put him on. Yeah. yeah. I, I like him too. That's, yeah. that's great. How have you found inspiration in times of darkness? Romance novels? No. <laughs> inspiration in time. You know, I, I was saying, I'm not sure. Like I realize about myself that I'm quick to be like, sometimes I'm quick to be like, this isn't working or this feels horrible. But then I've realized recently that when I'm really pushed into a wall to what feels like a time of darkness, for some reason, I have an innate ability to be like, this is what I need to have done. But it seems to take getting me to like, you know, I don't know, be lying on a hospital bed, mm. piss everybody off in Vegas, who knows, but like, it seems to take getting me to that point. And then I'm like, I'm able to just dig deep and be like, okay, you know, now what? And actually Brad or uh, my 
ex-husband is like, mm-hmm. he always says, you know, or used to tell me that I had a great ability to like, I would cry, get mad, get frustrated. And then when I'm mad, like, or I'm like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Then I just seem to have this ability to be like, this is what needs to be done. You know what you need at that point. Yeah, but it's it would be nice to get to that before. I'm going to work on that for the next 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I have been a single mom as well, and you're a single mom right now. Um, I found it was, it can be amazing having more time to yourself when the kids are with their father, but it can also be really uncomfortable sometimes, especially yeah. if you're not used to all that quiet and an empty home. Um, so do you, have you found that transition? Um, like, because at that point in my life, I didn't like spending time alone. Mm -hmm. I love it now and I can't get enough, but at that time it felt very lonely at times. How are you with all that? Um, I mean, I know you're a very busy person, so it's not that you don't have things that you're working on, but there's still a lot of hours in the day where you're on your own on the weeks that you don't have the kids. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm trying, I I'm, I more and more, I, I do, I'm, I find myself able to spend time alone with myself. I do find it lonely and I do like, I, I, I hate transition days. Like I've, I've been mm. trying to not hate them, but even last night, cause today's my transition day. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I, it does feel sad when the kids go, like you don't mm-hmm. get into it thinking, you know, and it is so funny, ironic, because there were so many times where I'm like, everything feels chaotic and I want to be by myself and I want to be alone. But I do find myself thinking it is sad when they leave. Like you miss that buzz of like family life. But I, I have been really trying to lean into that week being the time that I do more stuff for myself, that I mm-hmm. maybe work more than I probably need to. Then I can take more time to not work on the days that they're here and but it it is a lot of time to be by yourself and it's a lot of time just yeah it does feel lonely but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really working on trying to you know find the good parts of that but I do find it hard but ironically I think I was saying to my sister that it's so interesting because in the beginning I was just mostly sad like your kids leave and it's mm-hmm. it's sad but then it is interesting the more time you spend with yourself because then you also like you have to adjust to that transition every week. Then you also have to adjust to the transition when they come back, right? You just had this silent yeah. house that's super tidy. Yeah. And then everybody comes back and it's like boom. And then it's like, yeah. oh. So it's just always a transition for everybody, I guess. Yes, yes. I used to call it re-entry because right. you're like those transition days are tricky and they're tricky for the kids. And there's a readjustment that they're going through as well. And it's just, it always took a day or two to settle in. And then I'm sure it's experienced that way in their, in their dad's house as well. Like it's, it's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. It's interesting. Yeah. But it is, I do find like the loneliness is getting a bit better. And I think that the biggest thing that I, you know, you had Benita on here, right? So then mm-hmm. Benita once told me, that the biggest relationship that I needed to fix was with myself. And she was right. And I think that this time alone has been good for me. And this time alone, not drinking has been good for me because it's not like in this time alone, which maybe I did in the beginning of my 
separation, I would just drink more. But now mm -hmm. I'm forced to spend time alone with myself and really dig into my shit, which yeah. has been good. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's worth it, but it's, mm -hmm. it is lonely sometimes. And sometimes, um, being okay to just have a cry. Like if I'm feeling sad, have a cry. And even though you feel like, oh, but if I do that, I'm going to cry for a whole week. And it's like, no, you won't. You'll cry yeah. for like 10 minutes and then you'll get tired of crying and then you'll move on to something else, but just processing whatever those emotions are. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to be afraid of that for sure of that lonely kind of, it felt like a dark feeling, but now I realize just release it. And then you can get on to doing whatever it is you want to do. And you've let go of that uh, pain, which is important. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't get stuffed down or numbed out or whatever it is that or we like do. Stuck in your body. Yeah. I had a yeah. friend once she does breath work and she always said that emotions were just energy flowing through us, you know, and it's so yes. true. And if yes. we let that emotion flow through us, then it's so much more um, cathartic than if mm -hmm. we try to stuff it. Yeah. I totally agree. And like stored in our joints and all that yeah. kind of thing. I have a sore left hip right now. And I'm like, Oh Lord, I don't even know what that means, but I know it means something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I, I just thank you so much. I absolutely love this conversation and I appreciate your vulnerability and, and honesty, um, and openness with all of this. And it's really fun to watch your journey as well. Um, I want everybody to go and listen to your podcast, the Let's Not Sugarcoat It podcast with Isabella and Alex. So many great episodes on there. And where else can people find you or contact you or um, what's the best place to follow along? Yeah, you can um, follow either on Let's Not Sugarcoat It podcast or started a, um, if you want to hear more thoughts on the world of not drinking, I started mm -hmm. a instagram account it's called on the other side of the bottle you can follow that one um but instagram is usually the best place or yeah i think instagram i have a website but you know yeah it's just more copywriting but yeah right yeah. right okay yeah. amazing um thank you so much can't wait to chat again it's always fun and i think you've got really interesting stories to tell so well thank so. you and thanks for having me i enjoyed yeah. chatting yeah I'm excited i about did too podcast. it's great Thank yeah. you. And I, I'm excited about yours as well and had a good time um, chatting with you and Isabel. So thank you, Isabella. Um, thanks again. Have a wonderful yeah. day. You too. Thanks, Laura. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show today. If you enjoyed the conversation, please rate and review and follow along. I'm so happy that you're here and I will see you next time.